2: Welcome to a cold show in South Texas on a February afternoon. Hi, I'm Ron Arbaugh. Pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and every weekday at 4, we offer this program to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, whatever's on your heart and mind, what we believe, why we believe it, anything that's going on in your life. We'll do the best that we can to provide some answers. Uh, the show is always better with your participation, so we'd love your live calls. 340-9585. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now button and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We would love to have your Phone calls, because it's Wednesday here at Calvary Chapel, and we have our Old Testament Bible study tonight in Second Samuel chapter four. Uh, David is finally the king, and it's taken him a long time, but good study. But uh, it, it really sets up this chapter, does the the next couple of chapters, which are unbelievably rich. Second Samuel chapter four tonight, uh, also tomorrow, uh, the edition. Paula will be live in studio. Uh, with us. So we'd love to have your participation. Ladies, we set that day aside, especially for you. So if you have any need um, to talk with Paul or call her, or just want to be encouraged by her, you can do that tomorrow at four o'clock. Well, let's get to some questions that we have had sent into us. Um, our first question, let me see, comes from Iris. And she said, no, before I do that, Iris, I'll get to your question in just one second. I'm glad I just saw my notes. Uh, yesterday I had a couple of calls about a, a, a man named Aaron Budgen, who uh, is on uh, this radio station. He has a program on this radio station uh, prior to our show sometime. I'm not exactly sure when. And I was asked some questions about him, and I never really heard anything about him nor had I listened so uh, I could only be vague and I was going based on something that was written on his website and and um, something that the, the caller said uh, today I've taken some time to listen to him a little bit and to uh, read some of his statements of faith and I think Aaron Budgen's fine I don't uh, um, he's a little confusing question question that we had yesterday was a question uh, about um, um, people being saved before they they um, before Jesus came and, and, and the Holy Spirit actually being the seal of salvation and, and I think he's a little confusing about that I think he also has some difficulties with um, the whole process of salvation uh, as he relates it to the Holy Spirit um, but uh, his heart seems to be great um, I, I don't think there are any major issues at all so the two of you, who called about him yesterday, thank you, um, and pray for him. I think he's if he's doing a good job, he's a Jew who's converted to Christianity. Uh, I think he's out of Denver, uh, Colorado, and and uh, I think he's doing fine. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's Iris's question. Iris says, "Do you think there's going to be a hashtag Me Too movement in churches?" And do you think that women being told to submit to men is going to end? Iris, uh, I hope there's not going to be a Me Too movement in churches. You know, we live in a a strange time. Um, People are dredging up sins from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, it seems to be a cry for attention. There seems to be a legitimate need. Certainly all kinds of sexual harassment are, uh, are sins. And what we need to, to understand is that those are the kind of things that should never be spoken of in Christians. Now, I'm not being naive. I realize, Iris, that there is um, some sexual abuse going on in churches, and I think churches have historically handled it very, very poorly. Um But I hope there's not going to be a need for a hashtag anything movement in churches. I I wish as Christians, uh, Iris, we would spend more time in our Bibles, spend more time with Jesus than we do with all of this social craziness that's going on. So um, um, that's the best I can do with that question. Uh, Relatively, do you think women are being told to submit to men is going to end? Um, Iris, women aren't told to submit to men women are told to submit to their husbands only. And that will never end, and it shouldn't end because that was the standard that God gave. You know, there are three places um, that God demands that we submit, just three in the Bible. Uh, it's not difficult. He, he, he asks us to submit in Romans chapter 13 to the governing authorities. Uh, it doesn't mean that we agree with the governing authorities, but, but it says that government is established by God. Positions of authority are established by God. And if we're rebelling against government, we're rebelling against God. Um, We're told to submit uh, uh, to spiritual leadership in the church. And because uh, spiritual leadership, uh, pastors, elders, uh, are supposed to be men and only men, Um, Some women have perceived that as a slight against women, and if they do so, they do so without considering the character and the nature of God. They also do so without considering the fact that God owns the church. It's His. He bought it and paid for it. He gave it birth, and He gets to make the rules. Um, So we're told to submit to the spiritual authorities over us. Now, that certainly isn't the case if those spiritual authorities are telling you to do ungodly things. The, The other place that women are told to submit is in their own homes to the leadership of their husband. In a Christian life, God owns those three places in our lives and in our hearts. So what we've got to do, Iris, is understand that, that God has a reason for making the rules. You know, the Bible is um, a patriarch um, model from the very beginning. It runs all the way through scriptures, Old Testament and New. And we don't get to change it because of cultural ideology. We don't get to change it because something offends us the hardest thing in the world iris that any pastor has to tell a wife to do is to submit to the leadership of her husband and the reason that's hard for us is because we know most of their husbands if they're in counseling and the husband's being a jerk you know i the the last thing i want to do in my flesh is tell them to submit but what we do is we tell them this is how god deals with your marriage I always say God's waiting for one person in the marriage to say, okay, I'll do what God tells me to do. For the men, it's to love their wives the way Christ loved the church, giving himself up for her. For women, it's to submit to the leadership of their husbands. And it's not supposed to be pleasant. It was never God's plan. I mean, that's the, 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 the plan of salvation that came uh, after the fall, but that was not God's ideal. His ideal was that men and women would be partners in life. It's not good for men to be alone. It's not good for women to be alone. But after the fall, God cursed his creation. And part of the curse, he said to Eve, your desire will be to rule over your husband, but you will submit to him. And the only answer for a curse is death. So we have to die to ourselves every day. So Iris, women being told to submit to their husbands is never going to end as long as God's word is with us until we're with him, um, and no other place are men given dominion over women. I think we don't read very carefully, when we say, well, when I get a question like yours, Iris, are, are women going to have to, are they always going to have to submit to men? Well, no, it's just to your own husband. Again, I want to clarify, even in the home, if the husband asks the wife to do something ungodly, something that violates her conscience between her and God, then she has to say no. Now, she needs to do it respectfully. She needs to do it lovingly. But she needs to say, let me give you one example, and then I'll move on. Before I got saved, um, um, there was so much going on in my life. If somebody called that I want to talk to, uh, I'd tell Paul, tell him I'm not here. And Paula would dutifully say, you know, he's not here, can he call you back later, kind of thing. Uh, And one day, uh, evidently the Holy Spirit had been working on her heart, and I said, just tell him I'm not here. And she goes, no, I'm not going to lie for you. I said, Paula, tell him I'm not here. I got really angry. And she said, no, here he is, and she handed me the phone. I was so angry, but you see, I, I don't have the right to make her sin. And so for husbands out there in this audience who use the submit verse to get your wives to do things that are ungodly, how are you going to ever explain that to Jesus? So Iris, that's the best I can do. I hope that helps. Here is an anonymous question. This person says, my question is about worship. Uh, I went to a very large church, and it seemed more like a concert than a worship service. Could I have your thoughts, please? Um, Anonymous, um, worship is participatory, Um, but but it shouldn't be a concert. You know, one of the things that we've done is we've figured out how to market church. And so what we do is we put on performances. You know, Christians go and pay money to go to concerts. Um, Many churches want them to come and pay to go to church by virtue of giving their offerings and so if they think a concert is going to attract people that's what they'll do Um, and none of that is ever worship Um, when you see light shows fog machines uh, when you see musicians who are bouncing all over the stage trying to attract attention to themselves none of that is worship so if you went to a very large church and saw what seemed more like a concert, that's because it was a concert. Worship is not people watching the people on stage perform. Worship is people standing together with their arms raised to the air and, and, and worshiping God, singing love songs to Jesus. And I am afraid, Anonymous, that we have sort of cross the line and some churches are never going to go back because they realize that having performance worship brings people in. They realize that they can manipulate people's emotions through music. Now, worship can be very emotional, but worship should never be based on emotion. And so I I sort of agree with you. um, That's not something that I would ever be attracted to or ever want to do um, here at Calvary Chapel. You know, our church is, uh, we <laughs> I'm laughing at myself, we don't have uh, effects. Uh, our church is pretty tacky, and the only thing beautiful about our church is all the beautiful hearts in it. Um, but we stand together uh, during worship, uh, we we just love the opportunity to sing to the Lord. It's very emotional but people are singing loud when the worship team is on stage one of the things they love the most is hearing the audience sing that's what worship should be God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth not in a concert setting isn't it a shame that we have so mimicked the world that even in our church services we look like the world just shouldn't be 3409585 for your live calls that's um, 3409585 another anonymous question Um, this person says i'm dealing with real financial pressure can i trust that god will deliver me through them Um, Anonymous, yeah, you can trust that he'll deliver you through them, but it doesn't mean that he's going to take them away. You know, whenever somebody has this kind of financial pressure, one of the things that we really need to do is really examine why. Uh, Anonymous, have you been faithful in giving to the Lord? Have you been faithful uh, in being a good steward over that which God has given you responsibility? Is your financial pressure a result of um, irresponsible decision-making or a quest for wealth? Maybe you go to one of those churches that tell you God wants you to be rich and all you have to do is just believe enough and God will do it, But, but none of that's true. What God wants is for money to be viewed in your home as though it belongs to Him. So if you're dealing with real financial pressure as you say you are, then your heart needs to turn just to Jesus for answers. And it can't be a deliver me or bail me out of this one, Lord. But invite Him to walk through you with Him. Deal with those financial pressures with integrity. If people are hunting you for money, tell them the truth. I don't have it. I'll pay as soon as I can. But you can't ask God to help you and lie about your situation. I can promise you that if you surrender to God, this area of finances, and by that I don't mean give everything away, but but deal with Jesus personally, directly. And tell Him, Jesus, I realize that I haven't been viewing money as I should. Ask for forgiveness. Repent. Tell him that everything that you have belongs to him. And that now you're going to start over and just walk with Jesus and then let the chips fall where they may. And I promise you, Anonymous, he will be there with you through all of the pressure, all of the trials. And it's the only way to get through if you decide for any reason you don't want to stand in the pressure and take matters into your own hands, God's not going to abandon you. He's going to make it really, really difficult for you because He wants you to learn the lesson. So if you have been a good steward and you're dealing with financial pressure for reasons that aren't your fault, of course God will deliver you through those. But if you're the reason that you're in financial pressure, bad choices, you're spending too much, you're buying too much and repent let Jesus know that you will from this point forward consider him the Lord of your finances and that you're going to do with his money what he asks you to do and it's the only way I know anonymous it's going to work um, we don't have anybody on the line so let me tell you a very quick story anonymous I when I got saved um, I had been very successful in business and and um Because of my sin, gambling, and uh, just general sin, I was crazy with sin. Uh, I lost it all. I was so proud, so concerned about how others viewed me, and wealth to me was just sort of a way of keeping score, and it proved that I won. That God had to take it all away from me. Now, I, I don't want to be misunderstood here either. He didn't take it away. I lost it, but He let me go. And most of you who've listened to this program know Paula prayed for me for 13 years during that time. And Paula would pray, Lord, if you have to take everything away from Ron to to get him to his knees, then do it. Take everything away. And one day the Lord spoke really clearly to her heart. And he said to her, If I take everything away from Ron, I'm going to take everything away from you. Is that okay with you? And she never really thought about it like that. We were pretty wealthy. And so... She never really considered that she would be losing everything. And she had to wrestle with the Lord in prayer with us for a few days. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but she really had to wrestle with this. And she finally came to the conclusion, Jesus, you love him that much, so I love him that much. Yes, if you take everything away from us, it's okay. And within three months of that moment, I was saved and we were homeless. Turned out to be the best thing that ever happened to us. So, Anonymous, let Jesus walk with you through whatever mess, mess that you've made. Uh, Jennifer wants to know is it okay for Christians to go to clubs to have fun? Jennifer, I think you know the answer to that question. You know, we're free in Christ. But what kind of fun are you going to have at a club where they're drinking? or guys are hitting on you, or girls are hitting on you in the world that we live in, um, would you be comfortable with Jesus in the club? Those are the things you have to consider. You see, it's not for me, to, to somebody like me, to tell you what you can and can't do. But Jennifer, when you ask questions like this, it's usually because the Holy Spirit already convicting you. You know, when we give our hearts to Christ, we become new. The old is gone. Paul writes to the Corinthians, "The new has come." If if it used to be fun going to clubs and drinking and hanging out before you were saved, is it really the sign of a born again Christian who wants to go out and do those same things? You see, we have to change. We have to change. That's what meeting Jesus does for us. Now, inherently, there's nothing sinful about dancing. There's nothing sinful about hanging out with friends. But is that really the kind of witness that you want to be to your unsaved friends? What if you were in a club and you were drinking and carrying on and somebody suddenly somebody in the club was really hurting and they knew you and I mean, would you feel comfortable telling them about Jesus? Would you be able to say, well, you know, since I got saved, or or would they look at you and say, what do you mean you got saved? You're still the same person, at least from my perspective, that you always were. You see, here's the thing I think that we forget. Not only are we saved from our sins and the penalty of those sins, but, Jennifer, we're saved to a glorious relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know I'm repeating myself, but when we're with Jesus, everything changes. Everything's better. Everything is more fun. Our life doesn't focus around pleasure. Our life focuses around Jesus who becomes our pleasure. So Jennifer, that's a question you've got to wrestle with. Just you and the Holy Spirit. But it seems to me like when people ask questions like this, the Holy Spirit's already been wrestling with you. So I would just prayerfully take that to the Lord. He'll give you the answer. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. We're a little over three minutes left in this side of the program. Radio or the uh, phones have been really quiet. Melanie wants to know, does God love everyone? or only Christians. Melanie, God loves the world. The most famous verse in our New Testament is, for God so loved the world. The problem is the world doesn't love him back. And so the unbeliever that God loves, God is not able to love the same way that he's able to love me as a Christian. That doesn't mean I'm better than the unbeliever. It just means that When I say yes to Jesus, I surrender my heart, and I have a relationship, it's a family relationship. Paul says that we've been given a spirit of sonship that enables us to call Abba Father. And the best transliteration of of the word Abba is Daddy. You can't call somebody Daddy if you don't really know them. Now you can know about them, but, but if it's not your dad, now by this adoption process, spiritual adoption process. We are able to call Jesus our family. He's our older brother. We're able to call our Father. Ah, but you know, in Jesus' model for prayer, he said to his disciples when they asked him to teach him to pray, he said, Pray like this Our Father. That's where it begins. If you can't say, Our Father, then God can't love you the way he wants to love you because you won't let him love you that way. Now, it breaks his heart, and it breaks his heart because he does love you, but he's not able to love you the same way that he's able to love somebody who is a Christian. So, Melanie, it's very important that you understand this concept. Yes, God loves everybody. But his love is only beneficial for those who respond to his invitation to come to faith in Christ. That's how much it matters. You know, in a recent Roman study, um, we come to the passage of Scripture that said, uh, Esau I hated, Jacob I loved. And people get all confused by that passage. God loved Jacob. He proved it repeatedly. Jacob wasn't any more lovable than Esau was. God also wanted to love Esau. But he knew that Esau would sell him out for a bowl of stew. So God's basically saying, I want to love you, Esau, but I can't, you won't let me. So that's the the whole distinction between who God loves. Melly thinks 340-9585, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585, you're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes.
1: the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
2: welcome back to the second half of our wednesday program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR here's a question anonymously um, Pastor Ron, why doesn't God keep bad things from happening? Where was God when the shooting occurred at Southern Springs? Let me start with the second question. Just because, you know, our community has been so um, overwhelmed um, with questions, with emotion, uh, in pain uh, for the, the tragedy that was suffered in Southern Springs. We, uh, we can't begin to imagine the pain that they suffered. But here's what I can tell you about the people at Sutherland Springs. And I know this a little bit firsthand, having spoken with uh, Pastor Frank. And by the way, please keep uh, um, Pastor Frank Pomeroy and his wife in your prayers. And the people at Southern Springs ought to be on our prayers continually. Um, but here's what I know. None of the people there at Sutherland Springs are asking where was God. They know where he was was pouring out abundant grace in the middle of that tragedy. He is always there in difficult times. And they had been through the worst of the worst. Pastor Frank not only lost people he loved in his congregation, but he and his wife lost their daughter. They weren't there when the shooting occurred. They were out of town. And as a pastor, I can't imagine what that would be like. That's my worst nightmare. But here's what I can tell you, that God is moving in Sutherland Springs. I can tell you that the people who were to be with Jesus that day have no regrets. I can tell you that the people who survived and are going through horrific rehab post-traumatic stress disorder they know Jesus was there that day my question to you Anonymous is why would you blame God when bad things happen and I don't know why we humans do that you know when something happens we kind of act like God owes us Um, being safe from those kind of things. Well, nobody's safe in this world. This is a world where Satan is the little g-god of this world. And there's a lot of bad people, people who hate God, who do horrible things. None of that's God's fault. Now, if you ask, why doesn't he stop it? Well, a time is coming, anonymous, when he is going to stop it. But that time isn't yet. That time is when Jesus returns and rules the world with an iron scepter. For a thousand years there will be none of this nonsense It goes on. There will be no injustice. But that time's not now. When God intervenes, He will stop all sin. He will judge all evil. If He was to judge all sin and all evil today, then a whole bunch of people that we love deeply and care about would be lost forever. There is a day coming when Jesus is going to return. That day, I believe, is going to be soon. But as Christians Anonymous, what we need to do is understand that now we can serve God in the middle of this evil world. And unfortunately, Christians, like everybody else, are affected by it. When 59 people were killed in the Las Vegas massacre, a lot of Christians, although we obviously talked about what a horrible thing it was, we didn't get so personally invested in it. It happens to a church near us. And suddenly we treat God like he's not being fair. These are important things for us to understand. Bad things are going to keep happening. In fact, Anonymous, the Bible tells us worse things are going to happen as we get closer and closer to the return of the Lord. So please don't blame God for it. Instead, just be available to God. Let's go to Bill calling from Lavernia, Texas. Bill, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. Oh, I'm sorry, I guess we lost Bill. My only call today so far and we lost him. Okay, here is another Bill, probably not the same one. Uh, what does it mean to be born again? Um, Bill, I was kind of explaining that earlier to um, one of the questions that we had. It means that we, we die to ourselves. We purpose in our hearts to live for Jesus. To be born again means have new life. You know, we're all born the natural way. We're all living, but we're dead while we live. We're walking around, but we're walking around dead. Jesus said that we're born condemned already. And the reason we're condemned is because of sin. So our response to sin is to say, I'm sorry. I don't want to sin anymore. Help me, Jesus. Come into my heart and then we live our lives for Him. That's what it means to be born again. You know, Bill, baptism is a perfect illustration of what being born again is all about. We put people down into the water, and this is why immersion is important. We put people all the way down in the water. It's a symbol of of a funeral. We're, we're, we're publicly having a funeral for the person who's dying, the old person. And then... When we bring them up out of the water, they're coming up completely new in the power of the resurrected Christ, the Holy Spirit in them. And life begins anew. It means the things that we used to like to do, the things that we knew were wrong, but we did them anyway, we don't do those things anymore. It means that instead of being angry all the time or depressed or discouraged all the time or being complainers and grumblers... We're filled with this hope that provides an inexpressible joy. People say, well, why are you so happy? Well, I'm happy because I'm with Jesus. So that's what it means to be born again. It means the old you has to die. Now, Bill, you didn't ask this, but maybe this is the spirit leading. Maybe this is just me talking. But that's why religion never works. Religion, you know, I have this picture of Jesus shivering in heaven every time somebody says, I'm religious. Because religion means that we can do things to make ourselves acceptable to God. I'll go to church, I'll say the, the our Father, I'll, I'll, I'll go confess to a, to a priest. Religion doesn't do anything except separate us from God. Religion is nothing more, it never has been anything more from the history of the world than man's attempt to reach up to God and make himself acceptable to God. Make no mistake, we all instinctively know there's a God. But when you're born again, you exchange all religious outward displays. You stop trying to reach to heaven to make yourself acceptable to God. And you realize that God came down. And he came down all the way to earth, and he did so because he knew there was no other way we could get to him. And when we surrender our lives to him, we realize that he did all the work. We weren't looking for him, but he was chasing us. We realize that there's no way that we could forgive ourselves. Or justify ourselves. And instead, what we have is an awareness, a complete awareness that there's nothing we can do and he'll do it. Hope that helps, Bill. And we got the other Bill back from Lavernia, Texas. Bill, thanks for calling back. You're on the air.
3: Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi. Hey, uh, I wanted to uh, follow up uh, as well. I appreciate your kind words for Frank and Sherry. are personal friends of mine and their kids and mine. Oh. So uh, they play up a place in my heart as well. And I appreciate your kind words and, and the encouragement for everybody out there. Sutherland Springs has preached to the world through, uh, as Frank and said, God, not let an evil overcome. No no way. So I, uh, I had a, in light of the shooting, uh, we uh, – we had a discussion, and uh, I'm just curious how you would uh, uh, expound on when they say, you know, God even loved the shooter, and God does love everybody. But at the same point, you find verses on the Bible that says, uh, Psalms 5.5 5 in that area, and some others say God hated those that do iniquity. How does that uh, kind of fall in together? Is is, is that kind of the hate the sin, not the sinner thing, but where does that fall in versus a New Testament uh, ordinances that we kind of live under now if you can
2: expound on that. I can Bill thank you very much and God bless you and, and uh, for those of you out there who have come along uh, with uh, alongside Pastor Frank and the people in Southern Springs um, God bless you um, you know sometimes we don't have anything to say so we just hug them and love them and, and stand with them uh, that's what Jesus is, is doing through you so please keep it up. And, and uh, Bill, thank you, thank you, thank you for, for being there with uh, and for Frank and his, his wife. Um, you know, God, we, we, the, the, the Psalms and Proverbs, when hate is mentioned, um, we have to understand that we're, we're trying to use human words to describe an infinite God. Anthropomorphism is the, the, the theological word. Um, when we don't have words. So wh- what we do is we look at the end result. Uh, God loves me and I'm going to heaven. Uh, well, when somebody goes to hell for eternity, it looks as though God hates them and he's punishing them. When in reality, all he's doing is honoring their choice. I can't tell you how many times that God would have reached out to that shooter in Southern Springs. Um, obviously this man's wife, uh, his in-laws were Christians. How many times would he have heard the glorious gospel of Christ from them? Which is the other thing we have to understand is that God loves people too much to force them to do the right thing. He's given us the ability to make our own choices. We call it free will. And if God were to intervene in our exercise of that free will, then that would be unloving. And God simply honors the choices we make here in life. As long as we're alive, he honors those choices in death. We're all going to live somewhere forever. We're going to either be with Jesus or separated from Jesus. One we call heaven, the other we call hell. And so, Bill, he did. He truly loved that man. His heart was broken. He was, His heart was broken not only for that man's soul, but his heart was broken for the pain, the damage that was caused. So God hates sin. He hates it because it separates us from Him. It nullifies the reason He sent His Son to die in our place. Sometimes I just wonder, again, I'm using human emotions and human words, but can you imagine the pain in heaven at that very moment when Jesus realized that there were some in that tragedy, most notably the shooter, who would not enter into eternity with him that day. I often say this, I don't mean anything crass by it, but God has made it difficult to go to hell. We've literally got to go over his dead body. And I would add his dead and risen body. And so, yeah, God hates the things that cause us to be separated from him. He hated that Adam and Eve made the choice to sin. But he never stopped loving Adam nor Eve. God loves us so much that I've seen him. fill wait for deathbed conversions. My father at 84, the night before he died, gave his heart to Jesus. That's how much he loves us. And my dad was not a good man. My dad was not a loving father figure. But you know what? A lot of people were praying for my dad. And God waited for him to the very last minute. That's love. So it's really, really important that we understand. Another thing that we've got to understand, two things, Bill, with what you said. One, we need to avoid right phrases like, uh, hate the sin, love the sinner. Um, not talking about mass murderers here, but just, you know, people who identify with their sin, the homosexual, uh, can't separate himself or herself uh, from who they think they are. They think they're tied into to their, their sexuality. This is who I am. This is who God made me. If you don't agree with me, then you hate me. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is understand, help them understand that God makes the rules. We get zero input on those rules. And he says if something's wrong, we have to agree that it's wrong. And then we tell the person who is in sin that Jesus has an answer for that sin. Now, many times, most of the time, they won't understand, but but see, that's what we've got to know as Christians. That our responsibility is to love the unlovable. My study for the last two weeks has been focused on this continuing debt of love that we owe to everybody, a debt that we can never pay in full. But it's a debt that we need to spend the rest of our time here on earth trying to pay. And that means we've got to go out and meet in love the people who live lives that disgust us. Now, loving them doesn't mean accepting them, accepting their sin, but it means genuinely loving them enough to tell them the truth. And then when they laugh at you or make fun of you or call you names, you still love them and you still pray for them. That's important. And finally, it's this whole thing with Sutherland Springs, that church, that little church, I promise you has reached more people through this tragedy than anybody, including founding pastor, Pastor Frank, or anybody else who's ever been there. Ever dream possible. You know, we go to churches and you know, most churches are small churches. We go to church, you don't think there's anything special that God could do. Well, in an instant that church was given a megaphone to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and what a wonderful job they've done. And the people that are coming out of the woodworks from the city, people that used to go there, people that knew people were there, people are getting saved. This is just an example of God working all things together for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. The calling at Southern Springs is a terrible call, but are they, are they ever handling it honorably and gloriously for Jesus? So again, everybody in the audience, keep them in your prayers constantly. Uh, For Bill and those like him who are standing shoulder to shoulder with the people in Southern Springs, God bless you for it. And believe me, he's going to do that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Kevin. Um, Are there any sins that God won't forgive? Well, Kevin, Jesus said there's only one. And that's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. All other sins are forgivable. Now the question is, what's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Well, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is identified for us by rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said that the Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. The Holy Spirit's job is to testify about Jesus. When we say no to Him and we die in that condition, then that's the sin that we're guilty of. By the way, Kevin, nobody gets sent to hell for whatever their sin is. Somebody's drunk, that's not why they're going to hell. They're going to hell because they didn't avail themselves of the only answer for sin. Jesus is the only answer. He's the only one who lived a perfect life. And only Jesus, when they killed him, didn't stay dead. And that means he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So that's the only sin. I think sometimes we have a chance to look at people in sin and say, you know, because you're this or because you're that, you're going to hell. No, the only sin that sends us to hell is rejecting Jesus Christ, God's gracious invitation to eternity. Mm-hmm. But every other sin, Kevin, murderers, rapists, child molesters even Judas even Judas could have repented and he didn't, he wouldn't so no matter what you've done Kevin or whatever the person is talking to you about their life has done, you can with confidence tell them that whatever horrible thing you've done Jesus paid for on the cross at Calvary and by receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior by meeting the Jesus that will change your whole life everything becomes new I love that here is a question from Edmund do we have to keep confessing sins that we're guilty of uh, Edmund, if you are continually guilty, yes, you have to keep confessing sins. Now, I think most of the people listening to this program know that I'm not talking about confessing them in a confessional in the Catholic Church and a priest absolving you of your sins. We have to confess our sins to God. First John 1.9 says that we confess our sins, and to confess the word means to agree with God about sin, our sin. Not somebody else's sin, our own sin. If we agree with God about our own sin, then He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we don't have to keep confessing a sin. If, if I confessed it yesterday, I, God forgave me yesterday, I don't have to confess it again today. But what we need to do is confess our sins as we sin. We want to walk in that state of righteousness, in that state of, of, of perfect relationship. You know, Edmund, from my perspective, the thing I love the most about my everyday walk with Jesus is that if I mess up, all I have to do is say, Oh, Jesus, I did it. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And then it's like it never happened. Now, I can beat myself up. I can do guilt over it. But there's no need to do any of that. Because it's been completely gone. It's, it's taken away. So, no, we don't have to keep confessing old sins, but we need to constantly be confessing current sins. I hope that makes sense to you. I don't want there to be anything between me and Jesus, not one thing. I want the fullness of his uh, of His power available to me at all times every day to do that. Paul said we are to examine ourselves daily, and it's in the continuous present tense, so to be doing it all day every day, Lord, if there's anything that separates me from you, I don't want it there. And when you start to be aware of your sin like that and you're asking for forgiveness, the Holy Spirit's going to be there, and pretty soon he's going to be convicting you even before you commit the sin. And that's the whole point of confession. It's not to convince God that we really do feel bad about it. it's just to be sure that we have access. To Jesus Christ. Um, I've got a quick question from Jeremy along the same line. He says, is public confession necessary for salvation? Uh, you know, uh, Jeremy, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So public confession is important, but it isn't necessary for salvation. It should be a result of your salvation. You know, when I wasn't saved, I didn't want anybody to talk to me about Jesus. Certainly I didn't want to talk to anybody about Jesus, but after I got saved, I can't shut up about Jesus. For twenty seven years, that's all I've been doing is telling people about Jesus. And the best way I can do that is to tell people what he's done for me. So what we need to do with our public confession is we're witnessing for Christ. We're witnessing to his goodness. We're witnessing to his willingness to forgive, his eagerness to forgive. He wants to take all the old junk away and bring a whole new life to us. So yeah, we need to publicly confess our faith in Christ over and over and over. Not to get saved, Jeremy, but because we are. Well, phones were quiet today, but hope you enjoyed the program anyway. You've been listening to The Word to Stand on For Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the Day Day Edition program. We'll see you then, Lord willing. God bless.
1: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.